0: regrets we all have them whether it be something from last week last year or decades ago we long to make things right to change direction to begin again the good news is this you can start over you can actually learn to love your regrets there's something that you and I have in common. In fact, it's something that all of us have in common. And whether you're joining us from one of our locations in Chicagoland or from a community freedom location or a 3C community or anywhere in the world through community online, we all share this experience. And that experience is regret. Some of our regrets are big, Some regrets are small, but if we pause long enough to reflect, we've all got them. Now, rather than start by having you share regret with somebody near you or leave it in the chat, I just thought that might be kind of an awkward start. I thought, I'll go first. So I thought I'd start with a lighthearted, funny regret story of my own, but was having a hard time bringing one to mind. So I text my wife, Sue. I need a funny regret story to start this talk. Any ideas? she didn't seem to have any trouble thinking of one. Within seconds, she starts firing back to me a series of texts, one after another, with smiley face emojis after each, just so i know that she was laughing at me. So she texts me, how about the time you took me home after a date and tried to be spiritual by praying, and you held my hand and prayed, God, thank you so much for Peggy, your previous girlfriend's name, (laughs) regret that? smiley face and then came or how about one of the first times you came to my parents their very nice home and forgot to put the oil cap back on your car and leaked oil over my dad's textured concrete driveway and then you quickly tried to clean it up by hosing off the driveway and you spread oil over the whole driveway regret that smiley face and then came another how about the time you went to the visit a guy in the hospital after he had weight reduction surgery by having his stomach stapled, and you tried to console him by saying, "Wow, that took a lot of guts." Regret that, smiley face, and I was like, "Okay, enough, enough, enough." Thank you so very much, Sue. There are those kind of regrets, but of course, there are also regrets we can't laugh at. I'm talking about regrets where we've not only broken the trust, but also the hearts of the people we love most. Those regrets of playing it safe and not taking a risk that that could have changed the trajectory of our entire life. Those regrets regarding what others were allowed to say to us or even do to us before we could speak for ourselves or defend ourselves. And some of our regrets, I mean, are deeply painful. And the truth is, we all have regrets. Uh, Best-selling author Daniel Pink, in his book The Power of Regret, tells us that regret is the second most common emotion felt among humans, right behind love. I thought a lot about regrets. In fact, so much that my brother John and I wrote this book, Starting Over, Your Life Beyond Regrets. And one of the things that we discovered is that you could basically put all regrets into three categories. The first category is regrets of action. Regrets of action consists of all those things that make our stomachs kind of churn inside. And we go like, ah, I wish I'd never done that. And I'm talking about lies we've told, relationships we've torpedoed, dumb choices we've made, rage we've unleashed, money we've blown, or addictions we've fed. For instance, I, I know I've said things and like instantly I wish I could kind of like shove those words back in my mouth. Other times it takes me longer to realize the mistakes I've made. But I think all of us have regrets of action. The second category is regrets of inaction. Now regrets of inaction are kind of, we're reminded of them in the book of Common Prayer, which offers us this prayer. Most merciful God, We confess that we've sinned against thee in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by what we've left undone." Did you catch that? What we've done, that's action. But what we've left undone, that's inaction. I came across an interesting experiment that students from Strayer University conducted in New York City. They they set up a chalkboard with chalk on the sidewalk, and at the top of the board was written, write your biggest regret. All throughout the day, people would stop and fill the chalkboard with some of their deepest regrets. Things like burning relational bridges, not speaking up, not being a good husband, not spending more time with family, staying in my comfort zone, and not saying, I love you. As as the board filled up with a long list of regrets, they began to notice that the majority had one thing in common, Most of them included the word not. They were about chances not taken. They were about words not spoken. And they were about dreams not pursued. Researchers tell us that in the short term, people tend to regret action. But in the long term, we're more likely to regret inaction. It's what gave us that famous poem, for all sad words of tongue or pen, The saddest are these, help me out, it might have been. That's the sound of the regret of inaction. Now, many people, when they start to evaluate their own regrets and think about them, they only think in terms of two categories, these two categories, regrets of action and regrets of inaction. But we really can't stop there because sometimes our greatest regrets start with something hurtful that was done to us. Well... We call those regrets of reaction. Regrets like how neglected I was, uh, the betrayal I experienced, uh, the rejection I felt, an accident that I was in, an illness I got, or the abuse I received. And when bad things happen to us, of course we look back and we regret them. But sometimes these regrets of reaction are the ones that hurt the most. So there are three types of regret. Action, inaction, and reaction. And understanding that, I want you to meet Jacqueline. She knows regret.
1: Hi, my name is Jacqueline, and this is my starting over story. My mother migrated from Guatemala uh, to the United States. And I was born in Boston. Uh, When I was two, we moved to Chicago after my parents had separated. My mom was pretty much the entryway to all our family from Guatemala to migrate to to the United States. So we never had a home where it was just a mom and dad and the kids. It was cousins, aunts, uncles, um, and so on, and neighbors from back home. Because of that, there was access uh, to a lot of abuse uh, f- for a child and, and physically or emotionally and sexually. I kind of found myself in in a sexual abuse situation from about 4 to about 12. At the age of 12, I told my mom, you know, what had happened. I don't believe that she didn't believe me. I, don't, I believe that she didn't want to believe me and so not growing up with my father I think that's what what made me gravitate to certain people that were not good for me and that just set me up to have a failed relationship after a failed relationship after another failed relationship because I was always searching for that fatherly love for me it wasn't like why why did you leave my mother it was why didn't you protect me, you know, when I was a child? The reason that all kind of came to light is because I had started a relationship with a man, and that's where it all came back, and I had to tell this man, and I was 12, that that he wasn't the first one to touch me in, in the way that that was happening. And so this man um, was eight years older than me, um, And at the time I decided to start a relationship with this man that was eight years older than me um, who became the father of my child I was 16 when I got pregnant I was 17 when I had him three months later he was after he was born I left this man when I turned 18 still dealing with the anger and still dealing with the self-destruction because I was still doing things that I shouldn't have been doing, but I was still very present in parenting. Go to work, uh, come home, be the single mom, put him to bed, and then go out at night. And then come back home before Devon woke up. And so that was kind of like my routine from like Thursday to Sunday. Growing up as a child, we knew about God and we heard about God. I kind of knew, you know, you have the 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 notion that there is a higher being, but there is no relationship. There's no example or anyone really teaching that to me.
0: Regret often creates something called the sorry cycle. Jacqueline got stuck in the sorry cycle. And it's a cycle where we feel sorry about what we did and sorry about what happened and sorry about what happened to us. And we go from longing for something more and then we do something we regret. And then we go back to longing to get it right and then regretting what we do again. And then back to longing and then still more regret and around and around we go. And whether it's regret of action, inaction, or reaction, it is easy to get stuck in the sorry cycle. Psychologists have a term for getting stuck in our regrets. It's called rumination. It's when the memory of our regrets keep churning in our minds over and over and over again. One clinical psychologist explained this and said, regrets can have damaging effects on mind and body. When regret turns to rumination and self-blame, it keeps us from fully engaging in life. So what I want to do, I want to make sure you don't get stuck in your regrets. And I'll tell you, that's why I'm so excited about this brand new series we're starting today called Starting Over. Starting Over. And my sincere hope and my prayer is that we all come to see that God is big enough to redeem even our worst regrets. He can use everything in our lives for a great good and that we can all start over and live life beyond regret. Now, one of the guys who learned how to do this was a guy by the name of Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends. And I want us to look at two scenes from his life to see how Jesus helped Peter start over after a huge regret. In scene number one, Peter stands warming himself by the charcoal fire among guards and curious bystanders outside of the high priest's home. Jesus has just been arrested and dragged before the religious leaders. He's bound, tension fills the air, and everyone knows that violence is soon to follow. Just a few hours before, Peter boasted of his bravery, declaring that he'd followed Jesus to his death. But now as the smoke fills his nostrils from the charcoal fire, he's feeling nervous. He tries to blend in as he anxiously watches to see what's going to happen next. And then suddenly someone speaks directly to Peter. Aren't you, aren't you one of Jesus' followers, a woman asks? And then a second accuses him, you are one of them. And a third chimes in saying, you must be one of them. I don't even know him, Peter denies. I don't even know what you guys are talking about and then a rooster crows. The Bible tells us at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. Around that charcoal fire, Peter instantly feels the flames of regret. He can't believe what he's just done. I mean, after everything that Jesus did for him, now he's abandoned his friend in his most desperate hour, and he's overcome with this bitterness of regret. What happens next? Jesus is condemned, Jesus is beaten, and Jesus is crucified. Can you, can you even imagine the sorrow that burned in Peter's soul as his closest friend is laid to rest in the tomb? I mean, even after the news comes that Jesus is risen, that he's alive, Peter still carries within him the weight of this failure. Many of us can imagine what he felt like, can't we? I mean, sure, the circumstances are different and maybe not as drastic, but we do know what it's like to feel the sting of regret burning in our souls. Now, Peter could have got stuck right there in that regret. But Jesus refused to let him stay there. As we move to the second scene in Peter's story, we find him out on a lake. He's fishing with other disciples. Suddenly one of them, John, recognizes a solitary figure on the shore. It's it's Jesus, he shouts. And Peter, too excited to waste another minute, he just jumps in the water and swims to shore. As he approaches, a familiar smell smacks him right in the nose. It's a charcoal fire, and Jesus is there cooking breakfast over that charcoal fire. You know, smells have a way of kind of conjuring up memories, don't they? I mean, for me, like every time I smell fried chicken, it takes me right back to my Grandma Robinson's kitchen in Missouri. Or like the smell of hot chocolate. It reminds me of snow days as a kid when school was canceled. Or the smell of chocolate chip cookies make me think of my Aunt Jean's house in Keokuk, Iowa. Smells conjure up memories and, with them, corresponding emotions. You know, there's only two charcoal fires mentioned in all of Scripture, and Peter's at both of them. As the smell of his betrayal fills the air, Jesus serves them breakfast. And now it's time for a conversation. The Bible tells us, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon Son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus asked Peter the question, do you love me? And not once, not twice, but three times. Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Three questions that correspond perfectly to Peter's three denials. And the number three in the Bible is often a symbol of completeness, of wholeness and healing. But there's more. Because what Jesus is doing in this moment is something to exchange what has happened and help Peter start over. I want you to take note. First, Jesus confirms their relationship. Implied in Jesus' question, do you love me? is this priceless reassurance because I still love you. And here's the thing, when we know we are loved, we can find the courage to face our regrets. Jesus didn't chastise Peter, he didn't rehash what happened, nor he didn't blow it off like no big deal. He didn't give Peter the cold shoulder, no. He affirms his love for Peter and gives Peter the opportunity to affirm his love back. He confirms their relationship. But Jesus does something else too. Jesus confirms his purpose. After each affirmation of love comes this charge. Well, feed my sheep. Jesus, who called himself the good shepherd, commissions Peter, join me in carrying out my mission in the world. And by giving Peter a job to do, he's saying, Peter, you still have a purpose to fulfill. You're not disqualified. I'm not done with you. I need you. I want you to lead and care for my followers. And this scene between between Jesus and Peter is one of the most spectacular interchanges in the entire Bible. Jesus refuses to let Peter get stuck in that sorry cycle. He confirms their relationship and he confirms Peter's purpose. And with this, Peter can move on from his regret to start over. And here's what we have to understand today. so important. What Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you. If you're stuck in something you've done, hear God saying to you, I love you no matter what. Nothing can ever change how I feel about you. If you're stuck in something you wish you'd done, hear God saying to you, it's not over. I'm not done with you. If you're stuck in something you had no control over, hear God saying to you, you are not damaged goods. I have plans and purposes for your life. You see What Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you. He wants to confirm your relationship and he wants to confirm your purpose. He wants today to be the day that you start over. And just like with Peter, it was when Jacqueline met Jesus that she got unstuck from the regrets of the past.
1: During that time, um, I met a man who gave me a chance, and that was the beginning of a career change, a lifestyle change. I started caring more about my job and my son and my well-being than the partying, the drugs, and the alcohol. My oldest sister, um, her name is Shenny, she goes to work one Wednesday evening and suffers a brain aneurysm rupture. And by Friday, she was declared brain dead. And so that was the biggest earthquake of my life. I had lost my best friend. my cheerleader. So that rocked me. And I didn't know how to deal with this, but to suppress it, just to ignore it. Eight months later, I have a mental breakdown, and I decide I'm done. So I attempt suicide January. Two days later, after I come out, my nephew Steve collapses um, at work. He needed a new kidney, and so When I learned about The Living Donor, I put my name on the list. He needed a second chance at life, and I think I needed a second chance at life, a purpose. And so I think God uses this to give me my second chance. I call my mom and I said, Mom, I gotta go to church. And so I go to church that Friday and I ask for prayer. I was very scared, I was terrified. And so I asked God into my life, and I told him, I asked Jesus, if you are real, if God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is all real, then give me this. Give me him healthy, me healthy, and then we're going to walk out of this operation on Monday together. I told him, I will be yours. I will give my life to you. I will serve you. So you make me useful. And... And we walked out on Monday. After the surgery and, and seeing that he did come through for me, I said, OK, well, this is serious. <laughs> so I started learning, and I just dug myself into scripture. That started a journey of healing for me. Every day is an opportunity for me to start over. Um, every day, I still mess up. Every day, I can probably still go back to think about those things. It's not over. Mm. But, but I have a choice to start over every day, every morning.
0: What happens so often in life is we see regret as a finish line, when in fact it's meant to be a starting line. You see, regret is actually meant to be a helpful thing a functional emotion. Regret moves us to reparative action. It gives us motivation to do things differently and to make things right. As journalist Catherine Schultz says, regret doesn't remind us that we did badly. It reminds us that we can do better. See, when you understand regret like that, we can learn to love our regrets because they can launch us towards a better future. What Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you today. The last thing that Jesus says to Peter around that charcoal fire is, follow me. Follow me. He invites Peter on a journey to live beyond his regrets. And that's the journey he wants to take you and me on for the rest of this series. A journey where we will learn how to live beyond our regrets and start over. And I'll tell you, that is what I want for each and every one of you. To get you started on that journey, I'm gonna hand this over to your local teaching pastor. And your local teaching pastor is going to give you an opportunity to respond in a very specific way and take the first step in starting over.
2: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is John Perrine. I'm the pastor here at Community Lincoln Park. It's great to be with you. As you can see, this series that we're about to embark on over the next five weeks is really an invitation into spiritual renewal in your whole life. And so every week we're going to have a chance to respond tangibly, tactilely. We really believe that your body is probably the location where the regret has taken place in your life, and thus using your body to respond to God and what God's inviting you to do over these next few weeks is going to be a really beautiful chance to step into that redemption. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite you, if anything's stirring, uh, if there's any spiritual renewal taking place within you, if there's any invitation you sense God Uh, wanting to speak into your regrets, I'm going to invite you to simply stand and to respond uh, by standing. We don't do this often. Uh, There doesn't need to be any pressure around it. You don't have to stand. Uh, But before we do, I just want to reflect with you on some reasons why you might need to respond to this invitation. Uh, My first thought for you is if some regret has been holding you back relationally, There can be this sense as you hear the stories, as you reflect on the different types of regret, that regrets are like these pebbles thrown into a still pool, and they ripple out across your life. They ripple out across your relationships. And when your pebble and the ripples are hitting the pebbles in other people's lives around you, your unaddressed regrets are hitting up against others' unaddressed regrets, you can find these conflicts happening over and over and over again, can't you? Uh, Another reason you might want to respond right now is because uh, your regrets might be holding you back emotionally. Uh, We often have talked here at Community about how the body keeps the score. And so there may be some area of your life where a regret has occurred and you have found yourself getting angry unexpectedly. Does anyone else have that happen? And suddenly you look back and you're like, I don't even know why I was angry there when that person cut me off. But man... I'm so angry. Or maybe for you, the regrets look like that sense of going numb. When you find conflict arising, when you find pressure welling up, and it's almost like you can feel yourself pulling back either pulling back from people you're close to, pulling back from conflict, pulling back from anxiety. And there you are, eating too much or drinking too much. And you don't know why it is that it feels like every time that conflict occurs, you need to go numb. Maybe there is a regret. Uh, One last reason why you should respond. I think at the heart for so many of us, if if you were to talk to anyone here and ask them, how are you doing spiritually? I I can't think of many people in our church who would tell you, oh, I'm great (laughs) spiritually living in the city. Like, I'm amazing. Like, me and God are so close. I'm not distracted at all. I don't do anything I shouldn't. I'm like always at church all the time. No, that's none of our experiences. Instead, I think it's possible that the reason that you're feeling held back spiritually is that there could be that regret, and that regret might actually be something you've arbitrarily put in front of God. You think, if I don't address this, well, then God doesn't want anything to do with me. Or or maybe that regret is a thing that you've been avoiding that God is trying to meet you in. It is that relationship that went wrong. It is that moment, that, that decision, that memory that you just have not wanted to face. And God has been waiting right there like Jesus sitting at the fire, waiting for Peter to return to him. So I just want to invite you to close your eyes for just a moment with me as we listen and as you hear once again those words of Jesus. Quite simply, come, follow me. Follow me. Just want to invite you with no fanfare or pressure, if you're sensing any kind of movement and you want to respond to God in this moment, whether you're new to our church, whether you've been with our church a long time, whether it's a big regret or a small regret, if you do want to respond, I want to invite you to stand, and I would love to pray over you. So anyone here today, you don't have to look around. It doesn't need to be a big deal. You can open your eyes, though. Go ahead and stand. I just want to give you a chance to be prayed for by us as we enter into this new series. God, we come before you because each of us have regrets God, each of us have those decisions, those moments, those memories where something went wrong, whether there was something we did or something that was done to us. Lord, I want to pray right now over every person here who is longing for you to come and to meet them right there in their regret. Spirit of God, come now in this room and press in with those words you offered to Peter. Yes. Lord, I love you. Now it's time to feed your sheep. Jesus, I pray that you would personally meet and encounter each of these people over these next few weeks, that you would stir those conversations that they've been avoiding, that you would enter with them into those dark places, and that, Lord, your healing and your mercy and your love would transform them in such a way that this moment, of response could be a line in the sand, an opportunity to start over again. Come, Jesus, we pray in the name of your Holy Spirit. Amen.